people. And uh, I, I, can, I can't ever um, get over that thought. You know, if you've ever been to uh, a lectureship or a gospel meeting or something where there's a lot of people gathered, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get to see people you haven't seen in a long time, and, and you know, that, that can be very encouraging. And so I'm, I'm just thankful that everyone here has made the right decision in being able to come uh, tonight and take part in worship to God and, and a study from His Word. You know, um, I have had a question come up in the past, and it's come up on a couple of different occasions, and I, I want to bring forth that question tonight. And this has come up from different people with different backgrounds, but the question is this, is there hope for me? Is there hope for me? And what this really, this question boils down to, and every time I've been been asked this question, it's always been because somebody is wrapped up in sin. They want to do the right thing. They sincerely want to do it. They are weak as a Christian, and they know it. And they want to do what's right, and so they, they ask this question, is there hope for me? Well, the short answer to that is, well, of course there is. But let's think of some examples and, and some thoughts here concerning, is there hope for me? Number one is this. Let's, let's think about some examples here of repentance. Uh, I mean, it's going to boil down to that's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to be willing to repent. You have to be real, willing to make things right with the Lord. Now, we need to understand what repentance is. The Greek word means to rethink. And that basically means that there's a change of mind that is going to result in a change of action. You have to rethink your life. You've got to rethink those things that you've once done. And you have to align yourself with the Lord. And that's, that's what it is. If we change our minds to serve the Lord, then things are going to be a lot better. So we've got to repent. We have to repent. Now, when you think about repentance, I, I want to think about some examples of repentance. Uh, number one is, well, Saul. You think about Saul and Paul, uh, same person there. In Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 54 through um, chapter 8 and verse 3. Uh, you see that he is uh, taking uh, his part in, in stoning Stephen. And, and he's, he's doing all these things. He's throwing men and women in prison. It doesn't matter. He's, he is serving what he thinks... Uh, is is the right way. He's serving God and he's doing it the way he thinks is the right way. And of course we know that later on he calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he was doing things the way he thought was right. But he realizes later on, Acts chapter 9, matter of fact, that he's been dead wrong. Now there's a, a phrase that I've heard several times and I want to use that phrase right now. Have you ever known somebody who was sincere in everything that they were doing, but they were sincerely wrong? There are a lot of people in the religious world that they are very sincere about serving the Lord. But unfortunately, they're not doing it as the Bible prescribes. So they are sincere in what they're doing, but they are sincerely wrong. 
Now, if there's anybody that fit this description, it's got to be Paul. Paul fits that description to a T, right? He was very sincere. Matter of fact, later on in Acts, what do we see? He says, I have lived in good conscience all the days of my life. Now, that didn't mean that he was always doing the right thing, as we know. He was, during this time of persecution, he was not doing the right thing. But when he was persecuting Christians, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought that. He truly believed he was doing the right thing. And so he was very sincere in the things that he was doing. But he was sincerely wrong. You think about also Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 with the lost things, if you will. First, you have the lost sheep. And of course, you know, you've got all these sheep. You've got 99 that are found. They're right there with you. And there's the one. There's the one that is not there. Well, you know, come on. It's just one, right? No, 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 no. That, that is not the way it would have been for a shepherd. See, you know, as, as you might recall, it, in this story, this parable, the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep. Now, why is that? Well, because that one is precious to him. Now, back in those days, and I assume that maybe there are shepherds today that do the same thing, but back in those days, sheep were more than just a pet, if you will. And they were more than just, you know, money, if you will. Now, see, they, they provided for the family. That is true. If, if you had a shepherd taking care of sheep, you shear the wool. And you have clothes. You have warmth. You have blankets. You have those things. If it comes to it, you might even take one and slaughter it. It would provide sustenance. You might sacrifice one. It would provide a freedom there from sin. It was more than just the flippant thought of, oh, this guy has a bunch of sheep. Might, like We might think about having a bunch of cows. You know, oh, we've got so many head of cattle. Oh, it, there's, there's nothing to that. But back at this time, brethren, they would even name these sheep. And every single one was precious. You think about the idea here of the lost sheep. It was very precious to the shepherd. And the shepherd went out looking. What about the lost coin? You have the lost coin and of course the... uh, uh, woman there, she searches diligently, trying to search out, find this coin, sweeps the house until she finds it. Because it was precious. It was precious. And then, of course, the lost son. The lost son who falls away from the family, turns his back on his family, and basically runs away, spoils his inheritance. Many of us would even consider that to be kind of like a spoiled brat, if you will. And yet he comes to his senses and he wants to come home. He was lost and he came home and he was found. He was precious. 
when we look at these examples here in Luke chapter 15, in each example there is the idea of repentance. Repentance, coming back to the Lord. And each one is important. Think about Peter. You know, Peter, he preaches the first gospel sermon, right? You think about about all that, that he did. And, you know, sometimes we, we look at Peter and we say, you know, we, we can identify with Peter. Very zealous. Sometimes he didn't know exactly what to do with himself. And, but, you know, he was very zealous. He wanted to do the right thing. And he fell in that category on a few occasions where he was very sincere. But he sure was sincerely wrong. You know, on one such occasion, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse, uh, verses 69 through 75, says this. Now Peter was sitting without in the court, and a maid came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he has gone out, and he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and and saith unto them uh, that were there, This man also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I know not the man. And after a little while, they that stood by came and said to Peter, Of a truth thou also art one of them. For thy speech maketh thee known. Then began he to curse and to swear, I know not the man. And straightway the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter. Peter. Peter, Peter. He was with the Lord up until the end. And he was so zealous in his life and walking with the Lord that he said, I am never going to deny you. And yet, what did he do? Did exactly as Jesus had said. He denied him three times. Now... Was there hope for Peter? Well, sure, when he, we get to Acts chapter 2, that's when he preaches that first gospel sermon, if you will. That's a person who has hope. That's a person who has repented and wants to do what's right. So, is there hope for us? Well, it just depends on our attitude. It depends solely on our attitude if there's going to be hope for us. If, if, we, if we have the right attitude, then we can look to Scripture. And we can find out what we need to do in order to make things right. But if we have this attitude of, well, you know, I, I can't do anything, right? I'm not going to be able to make things right with God. I can't do this. God's never going to accept me back. If we have that kind of an attitude, we're not going to get anywhere. But when you think about just Peter, again, Peter repented. And he became greater than he ever was, right? 
But there was another specifically that turned their back on Christ, and that was Judas. You know, you think about Judas and Peter, they're pretty much on the same level here. Now, yes, Judas did outright sell Jesus. You know, he, he, he got, he, he went and he, he had made a, a, an agreement with these men and then said, I'll take this money, you, I'll show you where he is. And he was rewarded for that. Peter, while he did not accept money and did not turn his back on the Lord quite to that extent, denied him in front of many people. You know, there's not a whole lot of difference there. Now, I guess one might say, well, you can see the differences is that one was, was willing and one was not. But the outcome was the same. The outcome was very much the same. Until the very end, right? The outcome of, of betraying Jesus was the same for both men. Peter denied him. And Judas sold him. But how did each man, how did each one of them end up? How? Of course, as we mentioned, Peter goes on and he repents. He preaches the first gospel sermon. And Judas, what does Judas do? Judas hangs himself. Do we see a difference in attitude? It's about our attitude, if, you know, and, and that's one of those things that we need to remind ourselves. If we have a negative attitude about ourselves and about Christianity, then guess what? We're not going to amount to very much. But if we have a positive attitude and know, look, you know, I may not be the smartest. I might not be the most eloquent. I might not have this talent or that talent. But you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to do it the best way I know how. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. If we have that kind of an attitude, oh, the Lord can use us and He can use us well. But if we say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't teach one-on-one. I'm too afraid. I'm, I can't get up and preach. Or, you know, I can't teach a Bible class. Or, you know, I, I, I can't go and visit. I can't do these things. I'm, I'm too afraid, or I don't have that ability, or whatever. When we make those kind of thoughts, you know, expressions there, what are we going to do? Are we going to mount to anything? Oh, we are going to do exactly what we said we would do. And we're not going to do anything. Oh, I'm not much service to the Lord. That's what Judas said. You know what Peter said? I want to make things right. Is there hope for us? You know, we um, when we become Christians, you know, we, we we don't do that because we have perfect knowledge, right? Oh, we learn quite a bit after we become Christians. But the key for us right now is to think about this. If maybe there's someone here who's thinking, you know, I've not yet become a Christian because I, I'm caught up doing this or that or I'm concerned that I, I don't want to put this away or whatever. 
We need to remember this. I have never taught anybody anywhere that I thought, man, they've become a Christian and now they are going to do everything that I can do and more. Never thought that once. You know, I've never taught somebody and thought they're immediately going to grasp on to every thought and every, every little facet of, of, of knowledge here of Scripture. Never, never once thought that. I do think that people grow. I, I do believe that wholeheartedly. I, I, I think that that's the major thing. You know, when I became a Christian, I, I didn't know very much. I didn't know very much at all. But you know what I did know? I knew the plan of salvation. You know, I, I didn't know much outside of that. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. Because maybe it is that there's someone here that really needs this. Maybe it is that you've not actually ever done this. But this is what the plan of salvation is. This is what the Bible indicates that we have to do in order, in order to be saved. Now, I want to put it this way, brethren. When we're talking about salvation, and we're talking about all the things that go along with it, we can't leave anything out. We can't leave out things because, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that. We have to do what it says. And so these are things that are necessary for us to do in order to be saved. Number one is very simple, and it's what we're doing now. And that is we first have to logically hear the word of God. And that is going to be much more than just this right here, this setting. It's going to mean that we're going to open up the word of God. We're going to read it. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But not only that, we have to believe. Now, what is it that we believe? Well, we need to believe a couple of different things. Number one is this. We need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But believing also means that we need to believe in the word. You know, we've heard it. We have to believe it. Because in part of it is, if we're going to believe it, we're going to obey it. If we don't believe it, we're not going to obey it. So we have to believe the word, and we believe the word, and therefore we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We also have to repent. Now, I know of congregations and denominations that would not preach this. They would not teach that you have to repent, but they do believe it in some sort of way. They believe that you have to repent, that you have to change your life in some sort of way. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If we do not repent of our sin, then we will perish. We will die. And then we have to confess Christ before men. That, we see this in Matthew 32 and 33. That if we confess Christ before men, he will confess us before the Father. 
but if we deny him, he will deny us before the Father. And also in Romans 10 and verse 10, for the, uh, for the, um, with the heart man believeth uh, unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you want to be saved, you have to confess the Lord. And it's not something that we do just at baptism, although that is an example given in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. It's something we do every day of our life. Then we must be baptized into Christ. 1 Peter 3.21, like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. We have to be baptized. We are baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6. And it shows that uh, the idea here, uh, Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through uh, 4, uh, shows the idea of, of this death, burial, and resurrection just as Jesus died and was buried and he was raised from the day and so also we walk in newness of life. And so baptism is, is our, our resurrection, if you will, to a new life. We are supposed to be changed. But I want to mention this because I've, I've heard people uh, say, say many different things about this. Because when you're looking at the denominational world and people say, well, you know, I was baptized in such and such denomination. Well, so I don't need to be baptized again because, you know, I, I've, I've been baptized before. Well, if you think about the word baptism, baptism means to dip, plunge, or immerse. And I guess if you take it in a literal sense, I've probably been baptized, you know, thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times in my life. As far as jumping into a pool, you know, doing, doing all that kind of stuff, you know, taking a bath, you know, as a child, you know, completely immersing yourself. Yeah, Technically speaking, if a person is going to take this literally as just baptism, then a person has done this throughout their life. But in a spiritual sense, it has not been done throughout your life. Because baptism, as we see in Scripture, even though the idea is simple, that it is still a dipping, a plunging, or immersion, a submersion in water, even though that is still the case, it is done differently because of your mind. And that is that it is done because of a pure conscience toward God. Other aspect of it is this. It is a command, so we do it with that pure conscience toward God. But as we see at the end of Acts chapter 2, it is at the, that thing that adds us to the church. And in Matthew chapter 7, we see that there is one church. There's one church. And if we are going to do this, we have to do it the right way. And we have to be baptized into Christ. That is, to get into Christ. And the only way to be in Christ's church is to be in Him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and following. And so, when people say, well, I've been baptized in a denomination. 
You know, you haven't been baptized into Christ. Another aspect of it is this. In many denominations, in their creed books and whatnot, it will mention, and sometimes you hear it, I've heard this a few times and seeing uh, people being baptized in, in a various denominations, and it says that they are being baptized to be able to join that denomination. But there is one true church, and we have to be baptized to join it. Not the church of our choice. And last but not least of this, this thought of salvation is, we can't stop at being baptized. Now, if we stop at being baptized, then it did us no good. Because we need to live faithfully. Throughout our lives. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be thou faithful unto death and thou shalt receive the crown of life. We have to continue to be faithful. It does me no good if I'm baptized and then I go off and live however I want to. Oh, you know, it washed away my sins though, right? Well, I guess if you did it with a pure heart that it initially did. But then you sure did rack up the bill after that, didn't you? Romans 6 and verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, we have to live faithfully. We absolutely have to. It's not an option. It's a command. The next part of this is, but what if I become a Christian and I commit sin? Well, again, Luke 13, 3, and we have to repent of our sin. But we can also pray for forgiveness. Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, uh, speaking with Simon the sorcerer, he wanted to buy uh, the, the ability to do these miracles and the spiritual gifts. And so he, he, wants, he wants that for himself. And they, they knew it, and so they said, No, repent therefore. Of this thy wickedness. And pray the Lord. If perhaps the thought of thy heart. Shall be forgiven thee. So when we do something wrong. Sinful. Then we do have that advocate with the father. When we repent of something. That means that we have changed our mind. On the subject. It results in a change of action. This doesn't mean that, that it's impossible for us to sin. But it does mean that we are going to try really, really hard not to. I want to share this with you. I've mentioned a few times that you know, for uh, four years I was, a, I was a youth minister. I enjoyed that. That was, that was really nice. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. But there was a change, and I wanted to preach instead. you mind if I share what that was? You see, I was studying with these teenagers, and I was teaching them, and I saw some real growth. And every now and then, I would teach something that mom and dad did not like. Now, I would give scripture for it, book, chapter, and verse, and let them see it. 
But for some reason, they did not like it most of the time because they did whatever this was. And, of course, what did they just do? They undid the teachings of the Scripture. And so I started seeing a pattern. And I realized, you know what? I can teach teenagers all day long. But unless I get to teach their parents... I am not going to get very far. And that's why I decided I was going to preach. Because if the parents don't get it, the children will fall away from it. And I'm not going to say it's 100% of the time because I don't believe that. But I do think more often than not they will fall away from it. They will go against that teaching. Brother, I hope you know me enough by now that I only want to teach the scriptures. And I know that that's what kind of congregation we are here. That we just want the scriptures taught. And that being the case, I pray that we follow them wholeheartedly. No matter if we agree initially or not, we need to follow it. No matter what that means concerning our past or our family history, we need to obey it. Because simply, if we love the Lord, we're going to do it His way. No matter what that means for anybody else. So is there hope for us? Absolutely. There is hope for all of us. If we sin after becoming Christians, there's hope for us. If we have not yet become a Christian, there's hope for you. You have a moment here, in in just a moment, that you can take charge of your life. And you can make things right with the Lord. You can, at this point in time, become sinless. Something that you haven't experienced since you were a newborn baby. And you know what? You can make it right with the Lord tonight. And you can serve Him for the rest of your life. Maybe it is that you are already a Christian, but you know that you have not been living right. You can make things right too. We want you to. We want everybody to. Let's make things right. If there's anybody here that needs to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing.